come to God's word for many, many different reasons. So let's just brainstorm. What are some of the reasons that we open God's word? What are we looking for? Encouragement. Encouragement. That's the first thing I wrote down, too. And where do you go when you're looking for encouragement? What book? You, the Psalms. Yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. What else do we go to God's word for? Wisdom. Wisdom. That's the second thing I had written down. Proverbs. Yep. That's where I go. Yep. Go to Proverbs. So, but the, the last way that I have written down is just to be able to know God. And that's not often uh, what people are drawn to. We're drawn to God's blessings. And um, sometimes we just want to know, like, how can, how can we, uh, we ask God for blessings, and yet we don't really always just want to know God. Um, but knowing God is what we're going to try and do today by learning about the sacrifices. So this is not something that you would ever go to the Bible and be like, I really want to today know about, you know, the Old Testament sacrifices. It's not a thing that draws you, uh, but we're going to learn today about how that is so important to knowing God. So the sacrificial language of the Old Testament is just really nonsense to the American um, culture. It's really, they just don't understand it. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today and see if we can relate that to, uh, to today so that we can explain that to our neighbors. So turn with me in your um, where, whatever text you want to uh, for Hebrews 10, whether it's your Bible or your um, printed out um, paper that we have given you. How many of you are really liking the printed out version that we gave you in order to be able to, uh, to write on it? Great. So what I do in my own personal study, I've got about six uh, of my own notebooks now like this, where I have my own, you know, like my Genesis one. It's like everybody wants to go through Genesis. My Genesis binder is really big, and I have all my notes, and I love going back through it because I find I, uh, my Bible just doesn't have enough space for me to write in. And so um, I love just taking uh, the text and just being able to write on it and make notes. So I hope you guys are enjoying that part. If that's something new for you, you might want to try it with, um, if you're, you know, you want to do a study by yourself, try that way. And so uh, you can just feel free to mark it up and draw arrows and lines in a way that you might not mark up your Bible. Although I've seen Brianne's dad's Bible, and that's a work of art where he's, he's got it all. Um, if you ever see him, ask him to see his Bible uh, for Hebrews. And um, it's, it's completely marked up. Okay, so we're in Hebrews 10, and we're going to talk about Jesus is a better sacrifice. So every cult and culture uh, in years past has known about a blood sacrifice. So in the ancient Near East, this was a common thing. They, um, they weren't scientific people. They didn't understand what made it rain. They, uh, after a while, you know, obviously they figured out, oh, this is the rainy season or this and that. But what they thought was, we need to sacrifice to the gods. This is how they made sense of their world. 
So it, this just, just wasn't just the Jewish people that did it. This was every culture. And so I've always said, God goes into every culture and he redeems um, what he can for good. He did that then, he can do it today. Into our culture, whatever is happening in our culture, there are ways that we can honor God. And so God took the sacrifices that they already knew and he gave them new meanings. So um, if you, let's think about this at your tables just for one minute with your um, small groups. If you had to explain to a non-Christian neighbor who had no category for this blood, blood substitution that we um, accept as Jesus' death for us, how would you explain it to them? Do you have an analogy? Uh, how do you explain blood substitution to your unsaved neighbor? You got one minute, talk it through, and then give me, give me your, your great solution. Okay, just really brief. I know you could, you could talk for hours on that, but um, does someone have a, there's no right way, there's no wrong way. Um, there's just, we, we all like to just bring like, does this analogy work? Does this analogy work? Does anybody have a good way that they would explain that to their neighbor? There was a lot of discussion. Come on, someone had to have a, a great, and no, no analogy is perfect, but like is there, does someone, is, does someone have a place to start? Got to have some background. Yeah. Any other thoughts? We were just saying that um, you know most people know that when people are low on blood or dying, and you have a blood bank or a blood transfusion to go into that person to bring life back to them, and to even take it a step further, if you had your son in the car and you saw a criminal who just robbed a store and <clears> killed the guy down the counter and he was dying, would you take your son out of the car and take his blood out? A blood transfusion. I like that. Yeah, that's a great. There's life in the blood. That's a good one. Um, I think uh, sometimes, I mean, we know the basic concept of like somebody's going to have to pay for that, right? Like something happens and you're like, somebody's going to have to pay for that. And that's just the concept of, um, that's, a, that's an easy concept of like you can't pay for your own sin. Sin is a, bar a barrier between you and God. Well, also, like, we're saved from the wrath of God. And really, truly, like, if someone wrongs us, it's our wrath that we want. Like, we want vengeance. Right. And so, so, like, even that's why we have the death penalty. That's why we have jail and stuff like that, because people are angry. And right. When someone wrongs us, we want justice. Yeah. Right. It's, it's God's wrath, that, and we're doing wrong against him. So it's the same concept. Yes. Yes, we are doing, yes, that's great. We're doing wrong against God. I'm trying to repeat for the, um, the people that aren't here to make it to make sense to them. So there's also the ransom language, like Jesus paid a ransom for us. Um, that's in Mark and Matthew. That's a great thing to explore. And then going back to what Brianne said starting at the beginning, um, we're going to talk today about the different kinds of sacrifices because each sacrifice had a different meaning. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But uh, So Jesus is a better sacrifice. Why? 
We've talked about this already. His sacrifice was only needed once. And so in your homework, you talked a little bit more about learning about a shadow. And um, I talked with Michael this week, and he had a great uh, analogy of a shadow being like a, the shadow of a tree. You can't, you can't actually pick the fruit off of the shadow of the tree. It's just, it's, it shows you what it is, but it's not really, it's, there's no substance to it. So we get to draw near to God. We've already talked about that. And I hope when we say that draw near, you have this picture of the priest walking through the temple all the way, drawing near. Um, I hope you have that picture when you read those words, just knowing that you also get to do that. We're going to talk uh, in uh, verse 2. It goes on to talk about um, because of Jesus' sacrifice, um, that we're no longer going to have consciousness of our sin. That, that's an unbelievable concept. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But um, Jesus is a better sacrifice. Why? Because his sacrifice is only needed once. And then Jesus takes care of our sin problem. So we have a debt that we, couldn't, that we can't pay, and Jesus pays that for us. And that puts a barrier between, the sin puts a barrier between us and God. So even back to Adam and Eve, it's, uh, it all comes down to, you know, whose way are you going to do things? It's the same problem for all of us. Are we going to do it God's way, the way he set it up, the whole system? He created it. He knows the way that we work best. And um, just like Adam and Eve, we all try and think, ah, I might know a thing or two. Like, I, I might be able to try something on my own which usually never works out. But we still have the tendency every time to do that. I often do that uh, with my mouth. I'll be like, I, sh I know I shouldn't say this, but like, I'm just going to say it anyway. And then at the end, I think, why did I say that? I shouldn't have said it. Um, but we still do the same thing. And it, 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 um, just trying to have your own way never works. You need to have things. Sin. Um, is disordered loves. So when you order your loves rightly, God first, and then, you know, however that would fall out for you after that, when you get that out of whack and you, and you put your family first before God, like, it's just never going to go well. So I love the definition of sin being wrongly ordered loves. There's a great book by James K.A. Smith called You Are What You Love. And it... Um, talks about the things that you do on a regular basis, those are the things that you love, those things are shaping you in a way that you might not even be aware of. It's a, it's a really great concept. The book is a little difficult to get into, but um, he's got a lot of, um, if you can get past chapter three, it, it goes really well, but you got to push through it. So just know that that's, um, he's a professor at, um, he's a philosophy professor at Calvin College. So it's not, um, it's not an easy read, but it's worthwhile. He's got some, not a lot of humor. He's got some amazing analogies though. Okay, that was a side note. James K.A. Smith, you are what you love. Okay, so why is Jesus a better sacrifice? Uh, he's gonna take care of our sin problem 
Okay, I want you to notice in verse 5 and 6. Notice with me the different kinds of sacrifices. There's four different words that I'm looking for when we talk about different kinds. Can you just call those out to me? In 5 and 6, chapter 10. Burnt offerings. Sin offerings. And then before that, sacrifices and offerings. Okay, so those are all different things. So I'm going to give you a few minutes in your group to give me everything that you know about the different sacrifices. So it's on the top of your worksheet there. Tell me what you know about burnt offerings, peace offerings, and sin offerings. Tell me what you know. I'm going to give you like two minutes, and then we'll, and we'll come back, and uh, we'll talk about it. All right, I'm hearing some really great discussion. But we're going to talk it through. I just wanted you to get you thinking about what you were... Uh, what we were going to be talking about. So now, I didn't hand these out ahead of time, but I have some um, notes for you. But let me just say this about the sacrifices and the offering. So you can find it all in the book of Leviticus. But it's very complicated. And so here's the analogy that I use. So if you think about, um, if you're going to get on the highway that's closest to here, what one would that be? 90. Okay, so you, all, you guys all know what I'm talking about. I'm going to get on the highway, okay? So um, we wouldn't necessarily call it a freeway because we have to pay for it, right? But you could call it the tollway. Uh, so, or you could call it 90, or it's also got a name, right? Isn't it the Jane Adams? Yeah. Right? Did we just name it that? The Jane, not, I don't know. Um, okay, so we have all different kinds of categories for it. But then at a certain point, doesn't it join with 94? 90, 94. So it's like two different things with the same road. And then there's just so many different ways that you could call it. It's complicated. That's, the, that's what the sacrificial system. So we're going to talk about basic categories, basic, basic categories. And let me just tell you what, a lot of the stuff, if you look online, a lot of it will, will not agree. People have different concepts and different categories because it's very complicated. So we're just gonna go with basic, basic concepts, okay? So if someone wants to hand these out, we're gonna talk about um, the burnt offering first. And then on the back page, I did a teaching uh, in the spring that was, there was a, um, a lot of content. And so this is a great review for you, those that were like, it was too much. <laughs> But on the back page, I just put some of the verses that I used in case you're interested. If you're not interested, you don't have to look up any of those verses. But some of them will make sense for some of the categories that we're talking about, okay? So this is like extra. This is our theology shot for the day. There's a lot of content there. I just want you to, I, we're just going to get basic concepts, okay? Are we good with that? So the burnt offering first. The burnt offering was done. You got. You want to think. If you want to just think one word for the or one phrase for the burnt offering, um, this is going to be how you would approach God. It's the way that you can approach God. So this is something that was done morning and evening by the priests. It was. This was the um, fragrant aroma 
that was pleasing to God that you would um, that we'd use to restore a right relationship with God. This was the burnt offering. It restored your relationship with God. Sometimes it was called the whole offering. Sometimes as an individual, you could, as a free will offering, you could offer this. And um, the, so the, it was called the whole offering because the whole sacrifice was burned, except for the skin. Because if you've ever smelled burning hair, that's really bad. And so the skin was something that was given to the priest as a covering. So the, sin, the burnt offering was something that restored, um, was able to restore God's presence to you. It allowed you just to uh, be in his presence. This was the most common sacrifice. The peace offering, also called thanksgiving, fellowship, or free will offering, the purpose of the peace offering was for you to be able to um, offer a couple reasons. Thanksgiving to God. If something amazing happened and you wanted to offer blessing to God, so first of all, you would offer the burnt offering, and then you would offer the peace offering. And, but the peace offering, you got to eat. You want to think about like a Thanksgiving meal. You got to invite your whole family, and you would eat this as um, an offering to God. So sometimes this offering was used when you consecrated um, a covenant. So think about the very first um, in the Mosaic Law, when the 70 elders ate and drank with God. That was a, because of a peace offering. So it was. you want to think of that as basically a meal. You want to think of it like Thanksgiving dinner. You're giving Thanksgiving to God. And often you could, uh, so it says two or more parties there. If you were consecrating a covenant, that would be with two or more parties. But you could offer to have anybody eat that meal with you. Okay, so on the, sorry, on the burnt offering, how does Jesus fulfill that? Uh, well, because it was also called the whole offering. Jesus gave himself up for us wholly so we could have unhindered access to God. Okay, so that's how Jesus fulfilled that one. He brings us access to God. There's some verses on your sheet. The peace offering, uh, Romans 5.1, says, Therefore, since we have justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's the, um, Jesus, how Jesus satisfies the peace offering. And then the sin offering. <clears throat> the sin offering is not always what you think it is. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, sometimes it's called the guilt offering the trespass offering, or the purification offering. So it didn't have to necessarily be a moral sin. This was what you would use to purify yourself. You would bring, this would be your sin offering. Um, so, so after um, a sickness, that's not necessarily um, a, a, as a result of sin, although there is because of sin in the world, things don't work like they normally should. But uh, it just is, has to do with the purity of going before God. So that the sin offering could be used um, for purification. So that allows God to continually dwell with his people. And it also purified the sanctuary from the sin for the people that were, that were in there. Remember, there was only certain places that certain people were allowed to go. And so if you were a leper, you weren't, you weren't allowed in the temple. 
And so there was um, the offering. We're not going to go. There's so many different ways. The offering that you would give would be the guilt offering, which seems counterintuitive to think if someone has leprosy. But we're not going to get into that. There's a lot there. So interesting, the verse in Leviticus I want you to read is um, written on your paper, Leviticus 10, 17. Um, this is why someone didn't eat the sin offering. So the priest would eat this one. Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary since it was a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? So the priest would eat this offering as um, bearing the iniquity of the people. Isn't that fascinating? So, but there was different, different occasions you could do the sin offering. Consecration of the priests, the inauguration of um, a new altar for worship, uh, at the various festivals, um, especially you would do this at the Day of Atonement, which was different. It was different than any other. That, that sacrifice was once a year different than any other after childbirth. Uh, this is the one that Mary um, uh, brings after childbirth that we read about. So there's different occasions. So those give you big categories. Now you've got grain offerings. Um, we're not going to talk necessarily about those, but that was um, you could bake any kind of a grain offering. There was not necessarily anything prescribed, and bring that as worship, and it was kind of added in. All right, so that gives you some basic categories. And then Jesus as our sin offering. Oh, there's one on your sheet that I didn't have on mine that's in the NIV. This one makes complete sense in the NIV version, Romans 8, 3, for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. So when Jesus was made sin for us, this was our um, purification. Okay, so Jesus, they were all different. It all sounds like it's one thing, and there's a lot there. I just wanted to give you some basic categories so that you could understand all the, all the sacrifices were different. They all had a purpose to show you your sin. This is what it looks like not to be able to come into a holy space. These are the things that you had to do in order to come before God. So why is Christ our better sacrifice? Because he takes care of our sin problem and we can go to him with confidence at any time. So that's just a brief, brief overview. If you have more questions on that, you can email me or uh, you can come and talk to me because I would love to talk more about that. But we've got to move on. Another reason Christ is our better sacrifice is because um, of the new covenant. And so we talked about that last week. He brings a new way. These are the new stipulations of how this what this relationship is going to look like. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit. So the old covenant could never cleanse uh, the conscious because you were never completely, you were guilty. You, you, were, you were guilty of sin. There were times that you could uh, purify yourself from your sin. You could ask forgiveness for your sin, uh, but it was kind of always before you, where now you can know before God, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. It's, that's just 
such an amazing thing to think about. These were these, the people from the time of Moses until the time of Jesus, they were doing these sacrifices daily, 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 hundreds of years. And now we just take it for granted that we can go to God. So the daily sacrifices, that was a constant reminder of sin, as well as the Day of Atonement. Um, it also says that that was a constant reminder. So in uh, verse 9, it says, uh, Jesus um, does away with the first order in order to establish the second order, which was the new covenant. Okay, so he did, he was able to fulfill what um, God asked. So Israel often is called the firstborn son, the nation of Israel, and the things that they were not able to fulfill, Jesus was able to fulfill that. Okay? So um, in, in doing God's will, God's will was that they would follow these rules. Jesus was able to do that. And so he establishes uh, the second covenant, the new covenant. It's not, not the second. Um, and so then going on to verse 10, it says, And then by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. And then moving on to verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Um, and then uh, moving on to 17, this is amazing. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. 18, for where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. Let's talk about that. There, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now, so I'm trying to think of an analogy of that. And every human analogy breaks down because we're talking about God who is otherworldly. But this is all we have is our human language. And so this is what I thought of. This is for my Harry Potter fans. Remember at the end of book one, for Christmas, what does he get? the invisibility cloak. And do you remember when the movie came out? And I was like, how are they going to do that? Like that's, And it was so cool to see. It was kind of like watery and shimmery. And he would put this invisibility cloak over him and allowed him to uh, wander around the castle and do whatever he needed, sneak up on people. And um, really, you just it was just the background. You could just see the background, whatever, whoever did that. It was really well done. And I thought, that's like... That's like us, what Jesus does for our sin. The word atone means to cover. Jesus covers our sin. Now, the reality is, like, Harry was still there. He's walking around with his friends. Sometimes you could see his shoes underneath. Um, he was still there. And so we still will feel the effects of sin. So if you, um, if you abuse a substance in your body... And it, that, it's going to affect your health. Like, you're, you're still going to feel the effects of sin. It's not like he takes away the effect. We still very much feel the reality of, like, racial. Um, racial, yes, for sure. But I, what I was trying to say was uh, in relationships. If you are continually sinning in a relationship, that's going to affect your relationship. 
So I don't know if that analogy works, but to me, that's just a beautiful picture. We, our, sins, our sin still affects us, but God doesn't hold it against us. I love John Piper's analogy, too, about um, Jesus, his um, blood sacrifice for you. If there are some people um, that have a universal mentality that Jesus died for everyone, and so what, we, don't need to, we don't need to do anything. He died for everyone, and John Piper has this great analogy of the flu shot. He's like, it, is the flu shot, is it for everybody? It's for everybody. But who, who gets covered by the flu shot? Who gets protected from it? It's only those that go and get it. And so the universal theory that Jesus died for everyone and therefore everyone's going to heaven, um, I like his analogy there that you, you, have to, you have to actually, you know, metaphorically apply the blood to your own, to your own sinfulness. And now if you think of, we talked about this before, like touching blood right now in this day and age just has a stigma to it that you would just never, you know, cover yourself in blood. But if you think of your own blood and how when you're sick and your blood kind of um, cleanses you from uh, your white blood cells attack, whatever is making you sick, in that sense, it, it cleanses you. So that's the sense that you need to think of rather than like, I would never rub blood all over myself to heal myself, but you would like get a transfusion. It would, the blood would bring healing to you. So it's only those, the people that have, um, accept Jesus' blood death that, um, that they, their sins are covered. Okay. So let's go to the, so what part of it, the therefore in verse 19. So Jesus' sacrifice changes everything. Verse 19 through 25 is the ver therefore, so what? Because Jesus inaugurated the new kingdom at his death, you get to live in this new kingdom right now. Right now, you are a citizen of heaven, and you get to live in that way. So before you knew Jesus, you were a slave to sin. Like you just, that's all you knew. But you now get to choose to um, live in the kingdom. You get to love other people that are, maybe are unlovable. You get to choose to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You get to live this new kingdom life here and now. And so how do we do that? There's two ways that Christ's sacrifice changes everything. We get to draw near to God, and we get to draw near to his people. Like the community of God is such an amazing thing. And those of you who've gone through some kind of a trauma and you've had God's people rally against you, you know, like that is a gift from God. People who are like-minded, who can come alongside of you and um, encourage you and to meet your needs. It's such a beautiful gift, this, um, this way that we can live in the new kingdom. So the therefore, starting in 19, talks about... Um, we can draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. In 22, it goes on to say that. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So what are we going to do? There's a few things. 23, we're going to hold fast. Um, 24, we're going to stir up. 25, we're going to meet together. And we're going to encourage one another. 
<laughs> the other thing Michael said this week is he said, Hebrews is just full of prepositional phrases. Just take out all the prepositional phrases, and then you'll figure out what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I thought, that is, it's very wordy, and it's, um, there's lots of content in there. But if we just take out what we're supposed to do, hold fast, stir up one another to love and good works, meet together, and encourage one another. <laughs> and I think in your homework, you, you were encouraged to think, how am I doing that? How am I stirring up the people at my table towards love and good works? I know some of you are um, you're like, well, I'm going to hold you accountable for you know, whatever it is you're, you said you were going to do. I'm going to hold you accountable for that. That's, that's stirring them up. Like, OK, you said you were going to do it. Let's, let's see how you, you know, follow through with that. Encouragement, such a beautiful thing to encourage. We all need encouragement. And I think um, we, we need to be the biggest cheerleaders for the other women in our lives as, just as, a, as a practice. I know sometimes uh, my personality is, is um, trying, just always trying to do better myself, just trying to, like, how can I do that better? How can I think better? But it's so self-focused um, that I need to be other, more others-focused, looking at all the one another's that it, in Scripture, that it, encouraging one another is such a huge thing. If this is not a gift that you have, then you need to practice it. It's a spiritual discipline to practice encouragement for one another. So maybe the Lord's telling you, you know, this week, ah, you need to do more encouragement for other people. Write some notes. Don't we all love to get personal notes in the mail? Send a text to someone. It's, how long does that take? 15 seconds. Praying for you today. How's your day going? We need to encourage one another. Meeting together. I love that you guys are all committed to meeting together here. This is, it's, it's a little bit of a sacrifice on your day. There's other things that you could be doing right now, but you're choosing um, to pour into other people and into knowing God, which is where we started today. I love that. Okay, so we're going to go into the last part, this last section, uh, 26 through the end. We're going to come across the fourth warning, the fourth warning of apostasy. So how important is that to this author? <laughs> He's saying it four times. It's like, I'm going to tell you one more time. Let's read through this, for, starting at 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? So now we have a little bit deeper um, understanding of this blood of the covenant because we've talked about the sacrifices. Um, and then that person has also outraged the spirit of grace. That is, a, that is a fearful thing. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So taking what you know, you, we, we know about these sacrifices. We know um, what they were for. 
you, these people had thorough knowledge, and, and, they, and now they know Jesus has come to do that for you. And yet, they were still tempted to go back to the temple system. The thinking, oh, maybe that's easier because of the persecution. So he says, um, 32, but recall the former days. So I love um, whenever Jesus, or the Bible, whenever it says to remember something. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the author says, I want you to recall the former days. Like, remember when you were enlightened, when you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This abiding possession is this new kingdom life that we talked about. Verse 35, therefore, it's another therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Be confident that that's the, that's the system, the new covenant. That's the, that's, the, that's the new system that God, the way that God relates to his people. For verse 36, for you have need of endurance. Oh, we all need endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and then the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back. And are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere, per, sorry, preserve their souls. So the warnings, they were, they were tempted to turn back to the temple model as it just, it was easier. It was manageable. They knew it and they understood it. This was, um, this was hard. This, the way of Jesus was hard. And so I want you to think about, we're not tempted to turn back to the, the sacrificial system. But I want you to think about the way that we do and that we try and bear our own sin. Okay, so a few ways we do that. Sometimes we, and I think we talked about this last week, sometimes we wear our sin like anxiety. Now, sometimes anxiety is hormonal and just out of your control. But sometimes we, uh, we tend to worry about things. And we tend to be anxious about the future when God tells us not to. There's all different ways that we try and bear our own sin rather than giving it to God. Another way we do it is um, we like to feel guilty. It makes me crazy when people say that, like, I feel guilty about this. If you went to a judge, would he say, well, how, do you, how, do you, I don't know, how do you feel? How do you feel? Are you, are you feeling guilty? No, a judge will be like, you're guilty or you're not guilty. I remember when I went with my daughter to traffic court. Um, I was trying to get supervision for her. She was just uh, 16, right? And so they have their first accident. And it's good because it makes them a better driver, right? <laughs> it's never good in the moment. So here's what happened. My younger daughter's in the car with her, and she calls me, and then the impact happened of the accident, and she drops the phone. And so all I hear is the screaming. And so 
I'm on the, and I'm standing in my driveway screaming myself, like, what's happening? What's happening? And I can hear the commotion that's going on. Oh, it was horrible. Um, they were fine. It was a fender bender. But anyway, that was, that was a horrible moment. Boy, as a mom, you, now my kids are far away. You, every time I pick up the phone, I think, is it good news or bad news? Is it good news? You know, you just kind of wait. Hi, Mom. And you kind of say, where's this going? Where's this going? And why are they calling and not texting? Anyway, um, <laughs> right? Right? Anyway, um, but the judge made me, uh, not me, I, like I went with her. Um, but he said, no, you have to declare. Guilty or not guilty. You have to declare. There's no discussion here. Like the judge, this is not a legal category. Like how do you feel? But I think as women, we'd like to feel, you know, ah, the mom guilt. I feel guilty. I, here's the reality. You, uh, you, you need to pick your, um, the right thing to do and you go with it, even if it's, um, it's not the best for other people. Sometimes it's the best for you. And don't hang on to that feeling guilty. Amen. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's see. What was, um, let's read verse 18 again says, so where there is forgiveness of, of these, back to um, 1018, where there is forgiveness of sin, there is no longer any offering for sin. So if Christ has forgiven your sin, like wh what, are you, what are you doing carrying it around? Like what, you can't, you can't carry your own sin. Another way we do the temple system is we bargain with God. We're all guilty of that, like, oh, maybe if I just would every day read my Bible and pray more, like things will go well for me. God, God wants us to know him intimately and um, sometimes we just are after God's blessings and so that's what we we're talking about today we were, we're knowing about God's sacrifice and ultimately that's where our blessings lie so that's all temple thinking so you can next time you hear someone have wrong thinking you're like no that's temple thinking we're not going to do that anymore Christ has covered your sin as long as you have accepted his sacrifice and you've made that new covenant uh, faith agreement with God. So we're going to, uh, in this warning, we're going to go back to the word recall in verse 32. But recall the former days. So this would be a great study to do all the times the Bible says remember. Because there's not one time where, um, where Jesus was uh, recorded as saying like, oh, remember that? Wasn't that fun? No. The things he wants us to remember have to do with our identity. You remember who you are and what you're going to do about it. So remember in the Bible always has to do with um, your identity and your purpose. And so if you can find a spot that, that isn't like that, come and talk to me because that would, be, um, that would be a great thing to look at. It has to do with your remember. So when you're doing communion, you are remembering not just the sacrifice. Yes, we are. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, who are you? Because Jesus died for you, who are you? And what are you going to do in what you heard today in the sermon? So remember always has to do, it's, it's not just a remembering. It's like there's something for you to do. It has to do with your identity and your purpose. So the author of Hebrews wants us to remember 
when you were first enlightened, when it was hard, but come back to those times. And that's why uh, we also get to encourage one another. So as a conclusion, verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Don't just throw it away. Like, remember whose you are and the purpose that he has for you.